Isaiah 12, 1 through 6, a song of praise. On that day you will say, I give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, thank you guys so much, and good morning. Welcome to Red Hills Church. We are a people here that are following Jesus from fear to love. My name is Brett Kimberg, and I am the Connections Pastor here at Red Hills Church, and I have the opportunity to continue in our series called The Upside Down Kingdom. In our series so far, we have uh, gone through the entire Sermon on the Mount, and as we continue in this theme of an upside-down kingdom, we find ourselves in the Advent season. Last week, Pastor Lane did an amazing job of coming in and giving us groundwork and context for where we are um, in, in this series, in Isaiah. He gave us all the history of the wars and the battles and who's conquering who and all of that. And I was like geeking out over that, so I'm glad that you took that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, this week, I, I, I'm not going to go into all of the historical context. Um, if you would like to hear that, go back and watch last week's YouTube. Um, it will definitely benefit you to know where we're at. But this week, what we are here to talk about is joy. I'm excited for this. And, you know, really, the children did it well enough. So good, good day. Have a great day. You can leave now. Uh, no. <laughs> Seriously, I, I absolutely love that. My son was up here, and that's, uh, that's an amazing part of our story. And really, if you're in the room and you're, and, and you're saying, okay, great, joy, you know, comfort and joy, all the songs that sing about joy, what, why is it important for me to sit and listen to a guy talk for half an hour about joy? Well, joy is more than just the feeling of happiness. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines joy as a feeling of happiness and well-being. But joy goes deeper than that. And today, we're going to talk about what that means. In fact, before we dive into it, I want to share a little story with you about my own life. You see, joy is this idea and this thought that no matter what happens in this world, I'm going to be okay. It is a solid foundation for which we draw from faith. And, and as I was studying this idea of joy, joy and faith were like, like hand in hand. And, and, and joy is really the precursor to faith. Why? Because joy is the very hope. I know we're going to get into hope later. But joy is the very thing that allows us to put substance into our faith. It is, it is the very thing that precedes hope because we understand when we have joy, it's because we understand and we know the end of the story. The title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is joy in salvation, the joy of salvation. 
And as, as me and my wife moved up here to Oregon, the, we, we looked at God and, and, and God had been talking to us, hey, I, I'm going to move you from the place that you're in and I'm going to move you to a different place. As we began looking at and praying about where we were going to move, we, we knew that God had a promise for us. We knew that there was an intended end. And because of that intended end, we said, okay, God, where do you want us to go? And my wife, Caitlin, she is an uber researcher. So any, any researchers in the room, you're in good company. Um, she, she wanted to know everything about the area. She wanted to look in. We came up here. We visited her grandma up in Forest Grove. We're driving around. In fact, we drove through Newburgh and stopped at Coffee Cat, I think, to use the restroom. And, uh, you know, a few other things like that. But as, as we explored the area, we, we had this sense of joy. Why? Not, not because we understood everything that was going to happen, but because God had said, I have a plan for you. And there was this sense of, of joy in, in the idea that even though we felt like we were in the right place and we were living out the plan for God's, the, the, the plan that God had for our life, there was something missing and God was giving us this invitation to enter in to his salvation, to enter into his plan for our life. Once we, once we finally decided, okay, we're going to move up here, my wife actually found the city of McMinnville online, and she found this article about how it was like the most charming main street in like the entire United States or something like that. Not biased. Um, if you don't think that, that's okay. Um, but it was from, it was from a, a magazine, a travel magazine from a couple years ago. But we, we looked at it, and we had never even set foot in McMinnville. We did all of our traveling and... Looking around, okay, is that me? Good times. My battery? Hello, check, check, one, two. Oh, that's fun. There we go, we back? All right, cool. Um, so we, look, we looked around and it was like that. You know, I mean, we, we had this, this, this idea that, hey, we're looking at this city, we've never seen it before, we've never set foot in it before, but God is telling us to go and we realized that McMinnville was the right place for us to move. The joy that we had was not in that we knew all of the details of what that was going to look like or even had the plan completely mapped out. The joy was in the promise that God had for us. So this morning, as, as we go through this passage in Isaiah, as we go through the chapter 12 that they just read, I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about what Isaiah has written about in chapters 1 through 11. I'm going to give you the separation of how chapter 12 is actually broken into two parts. The salvation for the individual and the salvation for the group of people. What they're talking about, Israel, we now understand that we are grafted in, we are adopted in, and we are a part of the family of God. As a congregation, our joy and our salvation that comes from Jesus. And when we end today, my hope is that you will walk away from this room understanding that Jesus is everything that we need. He's not just our Savior. He's our Lord, and he's got plans for us. And so as we begin to embark on this journey together, let's pray before we get into it. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. God, I ask that you would anoint my lips, God, to speak. I'm depending on you, Holy Spirit, to say what you need people to hear. I've prepared 
I've done everything I know to do, Father, to minister well. Right now, I lean fully on your Holy Spirit. God, that you would begin to speak life into the hearts of every person here. God, do what only you can do, and that is transform and change lives from the inside out. God, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today, as, as, we, as we look at the context of where the prophet Isaiah is writing in this chapter 12, we look at, at where he started. You see, the beginning of Isaiah is kind of encapsulated in this first section, or these first 12 verses, um, by this psalm of praise. And so, as we begin, we see that the first 12 chapters of the book of Isaiah focus their attention on Judah and Jerusalem. These are the two, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel, okay? And so the prophet has said much about their sins and the coming judgment and the grace that God has made available and his forgiveness to those who are penitent. And so he's, he's, he's gone over this whole list of things and he's rounding out this entire section with a psalm of praise. Because as he's come to the end of this, he knows that it's Right now and not yet. And, and I love what Pastor Lane said about prophecy last week. Prophecy is just this. It is a promise from God that has an action that we can take right now and a hope for something that is yet to come. So much so that the prophet Isaiah, when he's writing, he's writing over 700 years before the promise that he's speaking of, this salvation. He's writing 700 years before this promise would come to pass. But he gives them an opportunity to enter into praise and to thank God for his salvation now and the salvation to come when Jesus would enter the world. And so this is, this is the, the context. This is setting the scene for what we are about to read. And so as we, as we enter into this, we read in verse 1, it says, On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. You have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. These first three verses, verse one through three, are talking about a very personal experience of salvation with God, where God is bringing us into this place where once he was angry with me because I was born into sin and I had no choice in the matter. But now I have received salvation and he's no longer angry. He's no longer mad at me. The truth is this, is that God does not hate anyone. He's not mad at anyone. What he's mad at is the sin in us that breaks his beautiful creation. The thing that he formed from the dust of the earth, sin is the decay of who we are. It is death entering into our life. And so we look at this idea that God is no longer mad at the individual, right? He has become my salvation, and Israel would have looked at this and said, yeah, we're excited. God's going to save us as a nation. But individually, what did this mean for the people? It meant that they got to 
come back into that right relationship, this individual has the opportunity to say this, indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and not be afraid. And this points forward to what Jesus would do personally, because there was, we, we saw in the history that Lane brought up the wars and the conquering nations that kept coming in, and people would hope for salvation and sometimes would not see it for the rest of their entire life. They would live their entire life in bondage, in exile, in captivity. But Jesus was the one who brought salvation to the very hearts of men. He came and he fulfilled the covenant, the old covenant. And, and, and when, he, when he gave this, he said, this is my new covenant. And we, we're in this series called the Upside Down Kingdom, right? So we, we look at salvation as not being of, of the natural, save us from these warring nations, but save me individually as a human being. Let my sin be taken from me. And although there were processes in which they could do that under the old covenant, Jesus came and fulfilled all of them so that there would be no longer be separation between God's people and himself. That he could look at all of us and say, you are my child and I love you. And this salvation, I, I, I love what the commentary says about this salvation. As we get into verse 2, we see this idea that God is my strength and my song. The reader is made aware that God is everything to his people. See, the personalization of these phrases, this individual nature of God is my salvation. And I will no longer be afraid. This idea is that God is more than just my, my salvation in the natural, he is my eternal salvation. But in this, he says that he is my strength. That means I don't depend on other things anymore. We, we, salvation is this thing where when we embrace what Jesus has done and, and our inward man is recreated, we are now saved, right? But we look at all of the natural things around us and we go, well, what about Making, my ends, making all the ends meet. This upside-down kingdom is an inside-out salvation, not an outside-in. And so we begin to see this idea that there is, there is salvation and strength in who Jesus is for me. Why? Because I now have the strength to say yes to his plan because I understand the outcome of it is salvation in my life. But not only would the Lord receive their faith, he would be the sole object of their song of praise. And I think this is so cool. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worship guy. I love, I love to sing worship. Um, I love to enter into that time of worship. But in this, it says, other themes may seem narrow, but not the praises of the earth's creator and his people's savior. The redeemed have nothing else to sing about and yet everything to sing about when their song is of him. For every worthy theme is gathered up in him who is supremely worthy. I love the poetic nature of this. That when we lift our voice in a song, we're no longer just singing of the inward salvation, but we're making known God's 
deeds. We're making known who God is to me. When we lift our voice in song, it actually begins to get our mind off of our circumstance and begin to place our mind in a different perspective, that God has already won the battle. See, this upside-down kingdom, Jesus came in and he said, I've got a different way of doing things. And if you follow my way of doing things, it may not look like salvation in the moment, but this is the truth about the matter, that God has never once failed. Think about that for a second. I think we, we, we all acknowledge that God is good and he's, he's supreme and, and, and all of these things. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. All of these things about God. But God has not once failed his people. But pastor, how can you say that? They, they were taken into captivity. They were sent into exile. What about all of these things? God has not once failed to bring salvation to his people. The problem is, is when we have our eyes on the outward things, we miss what Jesus was trying to do. And that was bring salvation to the inside of who we were and who we are. And that's why Isaiah goes on to write this. You will joyfully draw from the springs of salvation. I love this idea. In in some translations, it actually says, you will with joy draw from the well of salvation. This idea of a well goes beyond natural or or the, the surrounding circumstances of who we are. When we take salvation and we allow it to go deep down onto the inside of us, and we take the promises of God that say he sent his son for us, which is what Isaiah was pointing towards, in his prophetic writings, when we take that salvation and we allow it to go deep down onto the inside of us, it takes some work. But James said it this way. In James chapter one, verse two, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is pure joy? Pure joy is understanding the end of the story, which is complete, not lacking anything. Joy is having the awareness of that in the midst of our trial and our suffering. And why can we count these all joy? Because we know the end of the story. We know the intended outcome of our God. And because of that, that ultimate salvation that has gone deep down onto the inside of us through hard times, through perseverance, through patience, our salvation goes from being just a head knowledge to driving deep down onto the inside of us into our heart. And, and, and what was a stream or a spring that could dry up during dry seasons? In their, in their culture, water was life. If you didn't have water, you died. And so for them, this well that they would draw from was drawing life and drawing all of what they needed. And as, as, as a spring or a creek or a, a, a small river might dry up, a well goes down deep beneath the surface. And when our salvation is being drawn from that deep place, then we have the joy of salvation to sustain us through the dry and hard seasons. 
But the beautiful thing about a well is that it's not just a personal thing. And this is where the, the author, Isaiah, this is where he transitions from a personal moment of salvation to a corporate moment of salvation. Where he begins to say, we as a people will say. And so this, this beautiful transition happens because a well is not just a place where a person can go draw water and sustain them and maybe even their families. But a well is where a community would gather together. They would talk about what's happening in their community. They would talk about the goodness of God. They would talk about their hope for a future. They could do that around a well as a community of people. And as we see this idea of community beginning to blossom in the text, we see this. It says, on that day, you will say, and this is a corporate you, as a people, as a church, as a nation, this is what you will say. On that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his name, and make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. And this points towards Jesus. When he came and was born and he died, he gave us a salvation that is more than just personal, but it is for every person that I come in contact with. And as we draw from what we have learned, we see that we are to be a city on a hill, a light for the world that everyone can see. And we sing songs like, joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? And when we sing these songs, we are declaring that Jesus came and gave us salvation. Not just individually, but as a people. God is speaking to us as a church that he's going to come back for. And I love the wording in this because it gives us this hope for his desired end for his people. That we would have joy in the midst of every situation. We sing a song here uh, pretty frequently called Firm Foundation. And there's a line in this song that I think kind of sums up a little bit. Of, of what God is saying and, and what the prophet Isaiah is saying here. The line in the song says, I have got joy in chaos and I've got peace that makes no sense. I won't be going under because I'm not held by my own strength. This thought is the thought that I want to leave you with today. That no matter what we are going through, because sometimes there are chaotic seasons. There are hard seasons in the life of every believer, but our source of joy is not our circumstance. It's not even our own power. Our source of joy is that God has already written the end of the story. And it brings me to this story of a man that I met in the Philippines. And, uh, he was, man, he was one of those guys. Have you ever seen people that they're just like joy incarnate? They're walking around and they're like, woohoo, hi guys, how's it going? And you're like, what is wrong with this person? Did they take drugs? Like, you know, th this guy was just so happy all the time. He was our bus driver and he would, he would drop us off at our 
the places where we were building lofts for families that were displaced by, by flooding and, and heavy rains in the Philippines. People that could no longer live near rivers because what happens in the Philippines is when heavy rains come and when seasons bring torrential rains, what happens is the water collects in the mountains, it flows down through the valleys, and all of these rivers begin to overflow the banks. And all of the people living next to the river are in danger of losing their lives, whether being pulled into the river or being washed out to sea because they live on an island and that river doesn't have to travel far before it begins to push things out into the ocean. And so, anyways, that's what we were doing on the island. We were building these lofts. As, as we were driving, one of the pastors there, he said, Brett, would you like to know this guy's story? I'm like, yeah. He shows up to every church service. He's like the loudest singer in, in the room. You can hear him in the back, um, you know, like above the worship team who's like amplified, right? Um, and, and he's always here. He's always helping. He's always involved. What is this guy's story? He said, well, Brett, he has, he has an interesting story. He, uh, he, during one of these times of torrential rains, during one of these seasons, his, his family lived next to a river. And so this man was driving from work um, during one of these downpours where water was rising and, and things were happening. And, and he began to make his way to his family's home. And as he could no longer drive, he got out of his vehicle and began wading through the water to get to his home to make sure that his family was okay. As he waded through the waters, he found a child that was being swept away by the waters. And he was a strong man. So he grabs the child and he pulls him to safety up onto the banks of the river, up onto beyond where the river was reaching at that moment and said, run, get to safety. And then he ran back into the waters. He waded through the waters and he found another person that was being swept away by the river and he found another and he found another and he found another and he began to draw them all to safety. And this man never saw his family. You know, he never made it to his family because he kept finding another person and saying, I can, I can help this person. This person is within my grasp and within my reach, and I can help this person. This pastor looked at me and he said, do you want to know why he's so happy? I said, yeah. This is not a story that ends happy. Why, why is this man so full of joy? He said, Brett, this man knew that his family was saved. They knew Jesus. And because of that, he knew that he would see his family again. But he said, I don't know if this child that I just pulled out of the river, I don't know if he knows Jesus. The reason he was at worship gatherings and singing at the top of his lungs is because he wanted someone there to hear the goodness of God in his voice. And he still looked at God and said, you are good. Because my hope is in the fact that I get to see my family with you again one day. And that is the hope of our salvation. It goes beyond our circumstances. And there may be people in here that are going through a very hard time. This season, this holiday season is meant to be full of joy. But you may have lost a loved one this year. And how do we have joy? in the midst of chaos? How do we have peace that makes no sense? 
because we recognize we're not held by our own strength. He's got us. Our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from having a great house and a car and the American dream, the 2.5 kids. (laughs) It comes from the fact that Jesus came to this earth and entered as a human being to bring salvation to all of us because one day this world will be no longer and we will be with him. New heavens, new earth, it'll be recreated. But in all of that, our joy is not in this moment now. It is in the fact that Jesus has already written the end of the story. You can take out your communion elements at this time. As we begin to think about this joy of salvation, we begin to take these communion elements and we pull them out. We look at the bread And Jesus shared this on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread, he broke it, and he passed it to those disciples that were with him. And he said, this is my body being broken for you. We talked about this last week, this idea that peace is made available because Jesus came. He is our peace. And when we take this bread, we recognize that he was broken so that we could experience peace in our lives, whether that be physical, emotional. Our life is at peace because he allowed his to be broken. So today we take this in remembrance of what Jesus did. Let's take that together. And as we take the cup, as we consider the cup, we see this juice that represents his blood. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said, this is my blood being poured out for you, a new covenant. Sometimes we don't understand the gravity that that comment meant to them, because we're not We're not from the nation of Israel. We don't understand the covenant sometimes that God had made with his people and the gravity that he said, this is my new covenant. This is the source of all joy, guys. The fact that we no longer have to be separated from our heavenly father, the one who loves us so dearly. We get to experience the fullness of his love because of this cup. So, this morning, we take this in remembrance of what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed, when he passed the cup. He said, this is my blood being poured out for you, a new covenant. Let's take this. And as the worship team comes up and gets, and gets ready to go back into a song of worship, I'd like all of us in this room to consider what Jesus has done for us in the way that he has saved us. He's written the end of the story and we no longer have